Hi, I'm Paul, the Ripples Guy. Welcome to the Ripples Podcast, where we share quick splashes of inspiration and explore how even our smallest actions can have an ongoing impact on our lives, the people we connect with, and the whole world. Are you in? I hope you enjoy this episode, and I hope you enjoy today. On this computer. Welcome, you rock peeps, if you're watching live. Welcome if you're watching the recorded video. We're going to do 30 minutes of Pebble Boulder Ponder. Pebble is a quick resource. Uh, Boulder is an activity, a resource that I've been using personally and professionally. And then Ponder, today we're going to talk about finite versus infinite game mindset and how that might impact the growth nudging that we have been doing um, the last few months. We like to start with a centering activity, and I dusted off one that we haven't done for a while. And it's me reading something to you that got read to me every Tuesday at 9.30 a.m. for many, many years when my therapist Loretta started off our sessions. And I'm going to invite you to um, get comfortable and take a few um, deep here now breaths here on the inhale, now on the exhale to just get quickly centered. And if it feels right, you may find it useful to close your eyes for the next 30 to 40 seconds as I read Just For Now by Dana Falls. Just for now, and without asking how, let yourself sink into stillness. Just for now, lay down the weight you so patiently bear upon your shoulders. Feel the earth receive you and the infinite expanse of sky grow even wider as your awareness reaches up to meet it. Just for now, allow a wave of breath to enliven your experience. Breathe out whatever blocks you from the truth. Just for now, be boundless, free, awakened energy tingling in your hands and feet. Drink in the possibility of being who and what you really are. So fully alive that when you open your eyes, the world looks different, newly born and vibrant just for now. Mm. I hope that was useful for you because I needed it and it feels so much better. I read that last night to the group and I felt like I, I felt I, I was hovering at about like a four or five and I went right up to an eight. I was like, yes. I have a uh, pebble to share with you. This is just a quick resource, something that I have been reading. My uh, childhood friend Pidge and I, she mentioned this book to me and had done a a quick read through and wanted to do a deeper dive. So Pidge and I have been tackling Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart. And I'm suspecting you know who Brene Brown is, an incredible researcher. Uh, her TED Talk on vulnerability ended up going viral and sort of launching who she, she, who she grew into. Uh, her books are all bestsellers. And this new one, Atlas of the Heart, uses 
a cartography metaphor to lay out and, and she basically creates a new taxonomy of emotions and experiences. And she and her team looked at the research and writing of dozens and dozens of uh, scientists who are studying psychology and sociology and, and human emotion. And they've chosen 72 feelings and experiences to include. And how they broke it down is, is like nothing that's come before. There's 13 chapters and each chapter is a cluster of emotions. And she call, and, and the first three words of each chapter are places we go. So in carrying this theme through uh, of cartography, uh, chapter one, places we go when things are uncertain or too much, and, and they explore stress and overwhelm and anxiety and worry and avoidance, excitement, dread, fear, vulnerability, vulnerability. And I am telling you that for me, this book is so remarkable that there's a good chance in a couple months, this is gonna reappear in our monthly call as the ponder, and I'm gonna do a deep dive with it because it's really, um, the more I read, the more notes I've taken. I wanted to quickly share three things with you that stood out. If, if you're somebody who likes Brene Brown or you're thinking, hmm, I'm a little curious about this. It's a $26 book that feels very luxe. I definitely, Pidge said, don't get this on um, uh, electronic, buy the book. It, the pages are thick. I'm writing all over it and it feels fabulous to read. I wrote down three things. One, the, chapter two is called Places We Go When We Compare. So it includes things like comparison, admiration, reverence, envy, jealousy. But what surprised me in this chapter is that resentment found its place in chapter two, Places We Go When We Compare, and not over in chapter 12, Places we go when we feel wrong. So it didn't sit next to anger. It sat next to envy. And some of the research that she did in interviewing people who specialize in research around resentment said, it has much more to do with us having unmet needs than it does with, um, and, and being envious of either somebody else who, who we perceive as having those needs met or resentment towards someone that we think um, should be giving us something that they're not. And so the, the nugget that I took from that, that couple of paragraphs was whenever you're feeling resentment, this researcher she interviewed said, the first thing to do is ask yourself, what need have I not spoken up for in myself? And that has changed a couple conversations that I uh, thought I was getting ready to have around me being resentful towards somebody. And really it was resentment about me not speaking up for a need um, that I had. And then, um, oh, and awe versus wonder. This was in the chapter four, uh, places we go when it's beyond us. And I, I, she made a really interesting distinction between awe, which makes you, stand back and stare, wow, and wonder, which makes you lean in and get curious and want to learn more. And I certainly thought of those as both experiences that I like having and that I think of as positive. And I have noticed a couple of times since that distinction was brought forth 
that it's been relevant when I'm having a moment that feels like one of them is, am I just wanting to go wow or am I wanting to learn more? And it's a it's an interesting distinction. Um, what was the third piece? Uh, oh, in uh, the chapter 11, where places we go when life is good, she talked about the difference between joy and happiness, which I think was more intuitive. It, it made sense to me. But she made a comment that the opposite of joy isn't sadness, it's fear. And again, it, it was intriguing to me to think if I'm wanting more joy in my life, instead of looking at, at ways that I'm experiencing sadness, to ask myself, is there some ways that I'm experiencing fear that might be useful to address that might be in the way of joy. So that's my pebble, Atlas of the Heart by Brene Brown. Brene with a um, The boulder is an activity that I picked up from a UROC peep who brought me in to Procter & Gamble last week for my first in-person gig in a really, really long time. And my first in-person gig where we got to take off our masks since February of 2020. We've, we were fully prepared to go to remote and then um, we were fully prepared to be masked as what we were expecting. And then just before the event, word came down, PNG was opening up and, and making masks optional. So most of us had our masks off, it was incredible. Well, one of the other speakers for the event was an internal speaker, a longtime PNGer who as a hobby teaches meditation and yoga. And she had been leading weekly Zoom sessions for the company that hundreds of people were apparently enjoying. And she showed up to talk about wellness. And she had a very cool activity that was a pre-learning activity that she was trying to convince them that this was okay to do before a meeting. And they were, and she had a stand up and some of you may want to stand and do this. I, I um, just remained seated and it worked just fine, but it was to open up your head for your thinking, your heart for emotions and your gut for your intuition. And you're invited to just watch me do this, or you're invited to participate if you'd like, but to open up the head, she had us actually put our hands on our head and um, take a couple deep breaths. And then she had us actually, um, the thing that really activated me was she had me just sort of um, tapping my head. Some people, she says, said, some people like rubbing, but for me, it was really tapping. That it was like, it felt like rain on a roof that just really helped me come alive in an interesting way. And to do that for a little bit. And then the next area is to open up your heart. And again, to direct some in, in, uh, energy there, just to take a deep breath with your hands on your heart. And again, activate that area by tapping with your fingers, your chest, and you can kind of move around a little bit to activate all the areas. If there's an area that it extra feels good to do it, do it there longer. If it feels weird, yucky, don't do it. And then finally, she had us put our hands on our belly and take a deep breath, directing some energy towards our belly. And then rubbing or tapping the belly. And I promise you, the first thing I noticed is I have more belly than I did two years ago before the pandemic started. <laughs> and that felt a little more roly-poly. And that was just fine, too. 
And of course, the debate was, could you really do this in a meeting, even if no one else was doing it? And the answer is, who knows? I know that I felt more alive. So I invite you to add that to your toolkit if it's something. Um... Oh, I love that uh, Aja mentioned that the women of Wakuho, which I don't know what the W stands for, but I know Akuho is my housing peeps. Um, which so wait, what? But now I'm curious, Aja, when the, it, put in the chat what W stands for, because now I'm curious. Uh, that's a pebble. That's a boulder. Now we get to do a dive into our um, ponder, which is finite versus infinite games. And I want to tell you this right now. Last night's presentation went a lot better when about three minutes before I was to go live, there were already people in the room when I said to my Western Association, thank you, um, of course, because you're in the West, that makes sense. Right before I went on, I realized that I was trying to deliver a presentation about finite versus infinite um, game mindset, and I wasn't ready to give a presentation and I really wasn't interested in giving presentation. What I wanted to do was, uh-oh, excuse me. I set a timer so I know when uh, the time was half up um, and it just went off. I wanted to explain it to a friend. I wanted to talk through this concept that I had been playing around with and almost included in a presentation a few months ago and didn't get to. And so I want you to think of, this is me and you and a few other people hanging out on a little Zoomy Zoom. And I'd like to explain something to you that I think is relatively easy to explain and has implications possibly for your work and possibly for your life and definitely has implications for how we've been thinking about growth nudging. This whole thing in January, we started out, I was calling it goal setting. And then as I was developing that presentation, I was getting so much information that goal setting may not be as useful as habit forming and, and, and creating some systems. And so the last, so January and February's meetings have really been thinking about that. Well, this is causing me to rethink that um, some more as well. So finite versus infinite games. A guy named James Kars, I keep wanting to call him James Curse, and his name is not James Curse. He was a philosopher, uh, a philosophy PhD a, a professor and academic, went to a conference on games theory in New York City in the early 80s and walked out of it thinking some big, interesting thoughts and started doing some writing and ended up coming out with a book that a few people went, whoa, this is amazing. And most people went, what? This is dumb. This is not making any sense. And he had this idea. And his basic idea was that there are at least two kinds of games, finite games and infinite games. And he defined finite games as games that have a uh, a very clear beginning and end, a goal of either winning or at least advancing in rank, and externally defined rules. And the types of games that he's describing are the most of the typical games we think of. A game of checkers, um, a game of football um, are, are good examples of finite games. He said infinite games, and technically, I will say, he said there was only one infinite game and that is the game of life. I think it's much more useful to think of an infinite game mindset and 
there are infinite game. There are games that are more like infinite games in that they don't have a hard start and stop. There's not necessarily a winner. And if you think of online games like the simulation games, the Sims or Farmville and these games where people come in and the goal isn't to kill someone or to, to, to win a crown, it's to keep on going. So instead of having a goal of winning or advancing in rank, the, the, the purpose is actually to keep on playing um, in an ongoing basis. And other distinctions, the rules, instead of being externally defined, a bunch of people can be playing the same internal game and might be having different objectives and different goals. And, and it's not necessarily everyone's playing the same rules. Their, their goal it, within a finite game, you're trying to strategize to figure out how to win. In an infinite game, you're trying to strategize how to, how to keep on playing the game. And where I find this useful is to think of it as a metaphor um, in other areas of your life that isn't what we would normally think of as games. Applying for a job, trying to get a job, is a finite game. You have a very specific objective and you are gonna send out a bunch of resumes. If there's a company you wanna work for, you go interview with them. They're gonna ask you questions. If you answer the right questions, you get a job. And then you wanna try to negotiate the highest salary to do the least amount of work. And then it's what you call winning until it's time for a raise. Managing your career, I think is more of an infinite game. It's more of an ongoing thing where you might, if, if you were in an infinite game mindset of your career, whether you take a certain job or whether you might take example, a job at a certain salary might be different if you were thinking of this larger infinite game mindset than if you were taking this specific. The same is true if you're trying to hire somebody. If your job is to fill a position and it's a, you, you've got a very finite game focused, you're going to apply, you're going to try to find somebody who'll do the best amount of work for the least amount of money. But if your infinite game mindset is more like managing the organization or leading a team, it might change how you do the negotiation or how you have the conversation or even who you're looking for, because it might if you're, if you're thinking large, you might be thinking more about who, who else is on the team? What, what do we need that's complementing to that? Uh, when I thought of education, I thought of, of, of taking a class as a finite game and, and trying to, you know, you, you, there's semester is a finite link. You've got certain things you have to do to get a certain grade. Your job is to try to do the least amount of work and get the highest grade. And that's a pretty finite. Your education, is possibly best thought of as, a, as more of an infinite game, right? Even, even a degree, like getting a de college degree or a high school diploma is I think a little bit broader than just a really strict finite thing. It involves thinking a little bit larger and how you think about that might evolve a little bit differently. The same is true of teaching or working in higher education. You can see the finite goal is to teach this class give these grades, set these expectations, create this specific syllabus, but your job as an educator can be certainly thought of in a, in a larger, more infinite game mindset. And that, again, some of the decisions that you might make in your specific role. So one of the things I'm really wanting you to think about here is, is there a something that you're working on right now that you could see how you're thinking of it in a, with a more finite mindset 
that it might be useful for you to say, if I was going to turn this into a, to, if I was going to adopt an infinite game mindset, how might it change? Let me see if I got all my examples. Well, I was hop, my intention when I was going to be going to Green Bay to fire up the faculty and staff at Northeast Wisconsin Technical College was to use the example of a football game or a football season as being a finite game but really thinking of being um, a Packer fan, for example, as much more of an infinite game mindset. And for my friends on the call who, who live in Wisconsin, they know this so well when I moved there, it was a very different, football plays a very different role in the culture than, than in other places I've lived. And you know, certainly this year, the in Cincinnati, the Bengals making it to the Super Bowl really brought out lots of Bengals fans and lots of, you know, I was seeing orange everywhere and there was a lot of passion and excitement about it. Packers are like that when we go to the Super Bowl and when we stink and we lose lots and lots and lots of games. There is a consistency there and there is a way, I think, of the way the franchise thinks of its job, I think is much more of an infinite ongoing mindset in lots of ways. Um, oh, and let me just add one more really relevant example to us right now. I think elections are a finite game and there is a very specific window. There's a very specific task and winning and losing is defined very um, specifically and Hopefully we all agree on the rules unless, well, let's not go there. Um, governing, and I would argue politics in general, I think is best thought of as an infinite game or thinking of it with an infinite game mindset. And that might include thinking about a specific election maybe in a different way because of the context of what's going on. And when we have politicians who, who have a mindset that our sole job is to make this a one-term president or everything we have to do as far as um, creating the district is based on how do we make it so my team can win and the other team can't win. That what gets lost is what about what's right for this country or this region at this time? And the fact that not everyone playing the game is on my team how do we, when um, and, um, a Ukraine situation comes along, if, if we've been playing a finite game, there's really no room for us to sit down and work together because that's the, that's the opposing team. And I'll tell you something that just really blew my mind this morning when I re read the news. I, I had heard, as I've heard pretty much every time the clocks change, I've heard rumbling about, should we make daylight say, savings? it's not plural, daylight saving time, I always try to get that right, permanent, or should we eliminate it and have constant standard time? And there's been a couple of times when, since we instituted uh, daylight saving time and during World War I, uh, that we actually made it permanent and it went from being a really good idea to a really bad idea and, and we changed it. And there is some really compelling evidence that because of the number of accidents and because of um, problems with, with the adjustment period that if not having it would be better. You may have heard in the news that the Senate passed yesterday um, legislation that is at least quite possibly going to be passed by the House to permanently instate um, 
this fall that we that we wouldn't end daylight saving time, that it would just stay with us. Um, actually, I, I'm sorry, there was an amendment because airlines and the, I think the hospital industry goes so far ahead that they said, can we make it so that it doesn't stay permanent until the fall of 2023? And raise your hand if you heard that that, that, that passed the Senate. Raise your hand if you heard it passed the Senate unanimously. So I did not hear that. I read three articles about it and it didn't mention that it was unanimous. And I need us, regardless of what party you're in, I need us to take a moment and realize that in these extremely fractured times, in these very polarized conditions where we don't agree on a lot, that not only did the senators come together to allow something to come to a vote, which has not happened for a lot of topics that need to be discussed, even things like criminal justice reform that supposedly have bipartisan support, that those things have been falling apart. Lots of things in the stimulus package that ended up not going to part. Republicans and Democrats were like, yes, we, we agree in principle to lots of this stuff, but no, you can't have it. And unanimously, they agreed on something. Now, again, I don't know if it's the right thing or not. It, it might be a mistake or not. I am just so freaking excited that we all agreed on something that I say, let's go find out together. Let's put this into play and let's see what happens for a couple of years. And then it won't necessarily have been a mistake if we turns out it's not good. Well, good. That'll take care of for a couple of decades. We won't be grumbling about this every spring and fall. We can go back and grumble about something else. The reason I wanted to bring this up with you is because I do think it's relevant in lots of different areas. And I'd like to start incorporating it in some of my presentations to think about finite and infinite mindsets a little bit more. But I'll tell you that specifically around growth nudging and one of the topics that we were theoretically, we're gonna be diving into were some of the prompts that I gave us um, to explore this, this month. Um, and some of you filled out the little survey the questions that evolved around, um, I've got them printed up here. How are things going well for you right now? What are some small-ish actions that usually make you feel better? Um, to try to get people thinking, what are some small tweaks I could make that might have an ongoing ripply difference in my life? I told you that when I dived into this, I was originally trying to help people set goals. And then I got all this evidence from James, um, James, Atomic Habits. Thank yeah. you, James Clear. <laughs> oh, that's right, you sent me that quote too. I was like, his name was not clear to me in that moment. Um, Atomic Habits, which I absolutely, which absolutely love. Oh, and by the way, Jill, our mutual friend Pitch, she's now reading that book as well. And Jill and I have been really loving his newsletter and um, really find him, his work to be compelling. And he's really saying um, goals are, are not as useful to people as, um, as creating habits, as, as creating some systems. And the 4,000 weeks guy, uh, Oliver Berkman, which I talked about here as well, it is of a similar mindset. So I started kind of like, well, maybe I need to not be encouraging people to think about goals. But as I was working on it, I thought, but there's some situations where goals seem really helpful and relevant. And what hit me as I was reviewing my notes from Finite and Infinite Games from this presentation in January that I ended up pulling this out of, I hadn't thought about the fact that goals are much more of a finite game and habits 
um, systems are much more of an infinite game mindset. And then that reminded me that um, something I think is going to be the topic of next month's um, conversation with you all is about polarities and how there are some things that we've thought of as, oh, this is good. And over on the other extreme, that's bad, that it's possibly more useful to think of them as poles where there are extremes and there are uses of this end and there are uses of that end and there are overuses. So things like extroversion and introversion and being organized versus being laid back. There's my, wow, that's 30 minutes already. Um, is that do we need to be thinking about goal setting and um, habit forming as both useful, not one good, not bad, both of them have uses and both of them have overuses in ways that they're not um, useful. And so I want you to know that I'm continuing to be very curious about how we nudge each other as we're wanting to grow. Oh, my goodness. And I, I didn't even think of this until just this very moment. I heard myself say to, to a therapist I'm having a couple conversations with that um, a statement that I've said in my presentations when I'm talking about comfort and challenge is that discomfort is required for growth and that change is an essential element of growth. And I, I commonly say in my workshops on dealing with change and challenge, if you're not changing, you're not growing. And if you're not growing, you're dying. And it, I think it, it's dramatic and you know, my people love the dramatic flair. But Irene said to me on this call last week, she goes, wait a second. And it's, she called bullshit on me basically. And I'm like, excuse me, what now? She goes, wait a second. What about stasis? Like, isn't it true that there are plenty of growth processes where there is a stage of stasis that is not growth or death, but everything is balanced and everything is okay. Yes, there are periods of generation. Yes, there are uh, periods of decay, but isn't stasis a thing and isn't it relevant to optimal uh, aliveness? And I was like, screw you, lady. You've got a good point. And I wrote down stasis. And I didn't think of this till just now as I was starting to put, to put um, some closure on this, that that's something else that... Um, when I said growing or not growing, I really wanted to give people permission to participate in these monthly calls if they were interested in some growth nudges, but also if they weren't, if they were just wanting to just keep on or in survival mode rather than reviving or thriving. And I think that's gonna be worth thinking about too. I want to honor the fact that uh, 30 minutes is up and I wanna keep this video that I'm gonna put on YouTube and audio that I'm gonna put in our, um, uh, podcast feed that will end here. So I'm going to say thank you for joining us. And if you're listening to this on the podcast and would like to be on joining us for these, become a UROC peep, Google that, and we can tell you all about the fabulous Patreon stuff. And I'm now going to end this recording by not ending this call like I 